0: Hello, and welcome to the Finding the Magic podcast. I'm Trisha Copeland, a fiction author and host of this show. In the last two weeks, I shared with you passages of the Kingdom of Embers and Kingdom of War audiobooks. Kingdom of Embers is the first, and Kingdom of War is the finale in the Kingdom Journal series. This urban fantasy series follows a trinity of witches and their quest to free the witches from an age old curse. Withstands their souls to purgatory for eternity and keeps them from having permanent homes. Elena, Camille, and Hunter must unite the Lance of Longinus to break the curse. But there is a powerful witch, Sonia, who doesn't want the curse broken because she is harnessing the power of the witch souls trapped in purgatory. The Trinity enlists the help of a fairy army, headed by Queen Titania, to defeat Sonia. Titania became the protagonist of my new Rome Chronicles series. In the first book, To Be a Fae Queen, released a month ago on March 29th, 2021, Titania is still a princess. With her brothers dead, she is the sole heir to the throne. When she rises to assume her place as queen, she faces many obstacles, not the least of which is defeating an army of cobbled who want to take the Fae realm for themselves. To celebrate the one month anniversary To Be A Fae Queen's release, I have two specials. First is a sale on the ebook, which is available for 99 cents through May 2nd. And the second is the first two chapters of To Be A Fae Queen. I'm going to read them for you today to give you a preview of my fantasy novel To Be A Fae Queen. Chapter one. I glance up at my crystals as the last rays of a setting sun cause splotches of ambers to dot the stone walls and ceiling. is my favorite yet saddest time of day. I dread and cherish my task in equal measure and linger at the window to relish the last bit of sun on the meadow. Forcing myself to turn from the scene, I raise my wings. Light from the window shines through them causing the room to glow with a slight green tinge. Crossing to my doors and opening the mine, I scan my ceiling to savor the dimming light, illuminating my prisms. I close and open my wings, rising into the air and exiting my room. Flying through the castle to my parents' chambers, as I do every night, I alight in their study. Mother sits in front of the fire, harp on her right, father on her left. Seeing his chin dip, I approach Mother. I kiss her cheek. Mother, will you play for us, or shall I? She blinks, and I think I see the edges of her mouth turn up just a hair. Sitting on the hearth before her, I await a reply. Had I imagined a slight smile, or was it wishful thinking? Her gaze shifts to her lap. Perhaps you could play, Titania. Your mother loves hearing you. Father stands and wraps his hands around her shoulders. Mother's eyes stay trained on the flames in front of her while I slide the stool to the heart and begin a tune. After years of lessons, I play well, but nothing like mother used to. She could draw tears from a crowd with one pluck of a string. Father retakes his seat, and I note his further furrowed brow. Laying a hand across the strings, I halt my song. Father, is something wrong? Surely Mother will. I swallow before uttering the same hopeful words I repeat every night. She will be better when her mourning is over. One year per lost child seems appropriate. Several years have passed since my four brothers were slaughtered while fighting the coupled army. Three years since we have heard her voice. I got more than a blink of her eyes in response to kisses, hugs, condolences, please, and sometimes, on my part, tear-filled rage at her inability to see I not only lost my brothers, but my mother as well. I thought one of her sisters would stay after the official mourning period. I loved having my cousins here. But each of the aunts crumbled under the dress of mother's catatonic state. Father offered their husbands prominent positions in the army, but after the prior massacre, even the promise of wealth and admiration would not sway them to stay in our kingdom, and they sailed north over the sea to their home in Bedlam. As much as I wanted to, I could not place blame. Each kingdom faced their share of foe, but none proved more dangerous than the coupled. Many thoughts weigh on my mind. Father's voice brings me out of my self-pity. Please tell me finish your tunes first they bring me joy not knowing how else to help i begin a new song he works hard touring the countryside with his guards hearing grievances of our people and keeping the accounts balanced for the kingdom i worry his lonely with only his advisors to converse with once the ballad ends i spin my stool to face him taking a deep breath i wait for him to speak he smooths his beard and begins the story of the couple, how they live in caves and hollows between our realm and lower earth father i know the histories i'm not a child anymore please just tell me what troubles you i guess that he may not wish to dwell on all my lost either especially as we try to keep our nights together happy and carefree with my brother's gone and my mother's condition he and i only have each other his two brothers and their sons were killed in the battle as well leaving us the last remaining royals of Auburn, me the only heir to the throne. Seeing father raise his hand to his beard brings me back to the worries at hand. He spins a lock of the curly hair between his fingers. You will be queen one day. I guess I cannot shield you forever. I just know the anxiety the memories cause you. Remembering the purple wings and gnarled claws of the beast that tried to kill me, my heart rate rises. The coupled have returned. Staring at the flames, he rubs his hand down his pant leg. Several anchor crystals that support our fairy ring have disappeared. We believe a mutant cobbled took them. Soldiers found footprints near a cave in the wood on the eastern side of the kingdom. My heart thuds and mine reels with the implications of the missing crystals. The fairy rings Rings create portals between our realm, known as Middle Earth and Upper Earth. If the anchors cannot be replaced, the ring dies, the portal closes, and will be cut off from all that is above, sun, rain, and winds to clear our air. With no light or water, our plants will die and our animals will starve. With no access to Upper Earth, we will die with them. Mutant couple? Why do you call them that? Do you not have multiples of the crystals? Why not replace them? We found footprints in the wood, but the ring keeper was not alerted to the couple's presence. Somehow they stole the anchors without being detected. We believe either they have bred with a magical being or were aided by magic. And yes, you are correct. There is one additional set of crystals set aside for each ring. We cannot risk these being taken as well. So gather a group of soldiers to investigate. Surely, the couple did not just disappear. I cannot send Fay into the caverns below. It is too dangerous. Too many evil beings lurk about. I have posted guards at the cave entrance where we saw the footprints. They come again. We will be ready. My heart races and sweat beads on my forehead. I sense the first warning signs of one of my episodes. I picture my crystals hanging from my ceiling. and take a slow, deep breath. Crystals. There is anyone better at finding crystals than I. I doubt it. I am good at finding crystals. I can learn which we need and search the students for new anchors. The water brings them down from the mountains. Father shakes his head. It is too dangerous. Do not have enough warriors to guard you. Guard the fairy ring and watch for the couple. There are far too many fae for the couple to overtake the whole realm. What do they hope to gain? Father paces to the hearth. A foothold perhaps? They have attempted it before. It is not unprecedented. Perhaps their numbers have grown too vast for the caves. They seem to be getting desperate. Either that or there is a darker force at work here. Do you really believe they have developed magical abilities? A chime sounds from the clock on the mantle. My eyes cut to mother, wondering if she registers our conversation, holds opinions, or then cares her daughter and husband need her. I have kept you too long. You need your rest for your studies and training, Father crosses to me. He leans over and kisses my forehead, as he does every night, but his smile does not reach his eyes. I want to help. There isn't anything I could do. I have my generals and advisors. You need not worry. Okay, good night, Father. I wrap my arms around him and squeeze his shoulders. Approaching Mother, I bend over and take her hand. Good night, Mother. I love you. Her stare does not move in the fireplace. Still, I pull her to me and kiss her cheek. Fighting the water pulling in my eyelids, I beat my wings and take to the air. I fly out the door, maneuvering through the halls to my room. I click my door shut and press my book back to the soft wood Heart pounding and breast becoming jagged, I imagine the worst. What if these kobolds and their new magic stole all the anchors? What if they overcome our troops? I slide to the floor and stare at my crystals. Trying to control my breathing. The cool stone beneath me calms my nerves. Father will figure this out. He always has in the past. We lost many in the last battle, but we were victorious in the end. Rising, I cross to my dressing table, brush my hair, and dress for bed. Carrying my candle to the bedside, I slip under the blankets. I pull them up tight around my neck and steady my crystals overhead. The fairy crosses are not the most popular because they are mud brown. Some of them form diagonals, but I keep only the most perfect bright angled versions. I pulse each face so they reflect the light. Candlelight bounces off those above me. They protect their owner from bad luck and connect the spiritual planes. My brothers helped me start the collection and helps me feel connected to them. Beginning my ritual of counting each crystal, I pray, As i do each night to grow strong and wise enough to make father proud i shall be 17 in just over a year and ready to take a position on father's council if they will have me if not i find a way to prove myself i bite my lap as my pulse quickens how am i an anxiety-ridden girl to rule a nation do i even want to follow follow in father's footsteps have the weight of a kingdom on my shoulders Perhaps I should focus on searching for a distant relative, someone in touch for memories of past battles. There are more pressing issues. I admonish my thoughts. The fairy ring must be preserved. That should be my focus. Sleep evades me as I toss over ideas for helping father. Giving up, I slide my covers and slip on a robe. I take to the air and weave through the halls to the library. There, I search for text on the fairy ring. Arms loaded, I make my way back to my room, dropping the books on the bed. I read through each one, making notes on descriptions of anchor crystals. Studying the text until deep in the night, I fall asleep and dream of the stones, guards, and mutant cobble. I wake to the sound of birds calling, not the normal chirps of morning, but ominous tones of premonition. Sitting up, I know the time and wonder why my curtains are not open. No breakfast tray sits on the table. I've slept well past mealtime, nearly till mid morning, yet little sunlight reaches through the slips in the drapes. Throwing off my covers, I race to each window and sweep the fabric back. Muted light greets me, and I peer out over the orchard, noting the dull green of the leaves and somber gray sky. My breath catches in my lungs, and I bolt to the door. Flinging open one panel, I stop short. Alfreda stands, one hand balancing my breakfast platter, and the other over her heart. Blessed be, you scared the life out of me. Has another crystal been taken from the ring? Well, good morning to you, too, but that is not for you to worry your pretty head about. Your father does not want to alarm you. He ordered me not to draw your curtains. Did he think I would not notice? I am not a child. Were more crystals taken by the cobble? I put my hands on my hips and glower at her, astonished that they thought something like this could be cut for me. Nasty creatures. She skirts around me to the table, setting the tree down. Goodness, what is going on? Where did all these books come from? I flip to my bed and gathered the text. I thought I could help father by studying the crystals of the fairy ring. Eat your breakfast. Your father ordered that you stay within the castle walls. What about my walk in the wood with mother? Alfredo cups her hands on my cheek. I know your pleasures are far and few between. The threat from mutant kobold, your father's fears spread thin. He does not have enough soldiers to watch for the kobold and guard you. I'm not a child. I can take my bow. Dear, Alfreda shakes her head as she backs to the door. Do as you are told. Your father has enough worries without thinking of you being a harm's way. Inhaling, I dig my fingers into my palms, hardening my resolve. I hate being cuddled. I am 15, almost 16, not a youngling who needs to be protected. Slumping in my chair, I pull the breakfast tray to me. While I chew, I count my crystals. My eyes trace the pattern on the ceiling, starting with the outmost circle and following the concentric rings to the center. One thousand. A smile spreads across my face and I release my breath. Saying a silent prayer to the goddesses, I snatch the last berry from my plate. I slip on a top and some walking pants and take wing in the direction of Mother's chambers. She sits in front of a mirror, a lady brushing the long strands. The handmaid hands me the brush and I rake it through Mother's soft locks. Muted rays from the window cause her straw colored hair to glow. Your hair shines like the sun today, Mother. We'll be walking in the garden and orchard instead of the wood. Apples are ripening and we might find a tasty one. Studying our images in the mirror, I remember how she used to braid my hair, and wind it atop my head. We look so different. I think it odd how we contrast each other. Her with pale blue eyes and light hair, and me with golden eyes and dark mahogany hair like father's. Thornton favored father as well. But my brother kept his hair and beard so short, it did not seem a prominent feature. Garrison and Bryce's coloring matched hers. I picture their light beards in my mind and how Garrison doted on me, teaching me to hunt in the woods. Hair the color of strawberries graced Rigel's head, and I must laugh thinking of how our older brothers teased him. Seeing Mother's stoic eyes in the glass, I refocus on the task. I lift her arm, tucking it in mine, and lead her to the garden. My bare feet savor the feel of the smooth, cool pebbles, but the dim light above causes me grief. minute the cobble must be stopped. Still, I force myself to walk every trail with mother and one into the orchard. Mother's arm twitches and her torso shivers. I wrap my arm around her back. I will take you to your room. I do not want you to catch cold. Leaving her with the lady, I take wing back to the apple trees. No noise from the castle reaches the glen, and I land between the branches. Even with the threat of the cobble, I realize the soft grass under my feet. I hear a crackling sound behind me and jump into the air. A limb rustles and I project my voice. Who is there? A soldier emerges from behind the branches. Forgive me, Princess. I am Foster. What are you doing here? They sent me to watch over you. Why are you not guarding the crystals or watching the caves for the couple? And why were you hiding? His star brown lashes flutter as he blinks. And red-tinged bangs swish over his forehead as he shakes his head. They sent me to guard you, but I was not to be seen. Well, you have not done a very good job. Are you old, even old enough to be a soldier? I tried to ignore his large green eyes, square chin, and muscled chest. He runs his soldiers, and his wings, white with umber streaks, spread out. I am seventeen. How long have you been in the army? Three months. He lowers his wings and i note the gold-tinged edges wondering if they shimmer in the sun i roll my eyes i guess that means they do not believe me to be in any real danger my father sent foster with the hope that i may be distracted by a handsome boy father will be disappointed he holds up his bow i have this shaking my head i spun away from him throw it to me if you spot something dangerous i never miss do not call me princess or your highness my name's Titania, and stay at the border between the garden and the orchard. I prefer to be alone, but before he can utter another word, I charge him, snatching the bow from his hand and quiver from his back. I cock an arrow and release it. Some hundred feet away, it lands in the dead center of an apple, ripping it from its branch and projecting the fruit to the ground beyond. When I meet his gaze, his spring green eyes lock on mine. Yes, you're high um, Titania. He speeds away, and I secure the bow and quiver on my back. It's much bigger than mine, and the weight of the weapon feels odd, but I decide I like it. Adjusting the two shoulder straps, I realize they hold the bag in place better than my sling. Shall I ask Alfreda to have someone fashion a similar pack for myself? With the knowledge that Foster watches me, I cannot relax, but still pace through each row, pondering how I may help Father. There seems to be little I can do from the confines of the castle walls. I circle back to the orchard's exit, retrieve the fallen apple, and take a bite of the flesh. Here, I toss the quiver and bow to Foster as I cross into the garden. Thank you. Weaving through the bushes, I sense Father Foster trailing me. I pledge to ignore him and make my way to the first class. History. With Foster by the door and my worry for the ring, it is hard to concentrate. The schoolmaster reprimands me, but sends me along for my fencing and music lessons. Father's presence presence feels smothering, and while it fuels me to swing my blade harder, the harp strings in our ears fare worse. Returning to my room to dress for the evening meal, I draw a bath. I catch sight of my bow in the corner and wonder if I may be of some use to father as a soldier. Perhaps I could dress in their armor, and no one would be the wiser. Father retains hundreds of warriors. What is one more archer? But you probably know the woods and stream better than anyone else. The evening passes, as most of them do, with dinner in the small hall with Alfredo and Father's army general, Kane, dining with us, and my session with Mother and Father. When my eyes open the next morning, I sense a chill, a darkness that pierces my bones, and my shoulders shudder. The air smells odd. As if full of dank, moist dirt, I scan my room. The curtains have been drawn back, and muted sunlight produces a slight glow. My tray of nuts, berries, and fruits sits next to my bed. Shrugging off the unsettling feeling, I sit up and transfer the plate to my lap. As I place a berry in my mouth, I lift my eyes to the crystals. One, two, three. Halfway round, the first string I freeze. One is gone. My breath catches. This cannot be. Are others missing? But can you continue tracing around the circles? Two-thirds and another is absent. When I get to the center, I spring up to the ceiling. My favorite crystal, the one Garrison and I found on the bank of the river when I was 11, is gone. Shooting to the exit, I throw it open my doors and run smack into Foster. How long have you been here? I took over watch at sunrise. Well, whoever guarded last night failed. I cringe at the thought of one of those huge, dirty cobbles was in my room. Three of my crystals are missing. I speed down the hall with Foster close behind. Swinging open the doors to my parents' quarters, I find them seated at the breakfast table. Three of my crystals have been taken. Someone, something stole them in the night. Father drops his fork and it clinks on his charger as he stands. What? My eyes dart to Mother, hoping for some reaction to the scene. Her blank stare holds to her plate. Are you sure? I mean, you have a lot of crystals. I do not see how you would notice three missing. Father Vince, to retrieve his napkin. I zip to him, hating that he would question me, that I have, may have to admit to my odd routine in front of Foster. The center one, the crystal I found with Garrison, is gone. Plus, I cut my hands to Foster. I count them twice a day, a thousand. There were a thousand I went to sleep last night. There are only 997 now. The center one and two others are missing. I could tell something was off the moment I woke up. The air smelled foul. It was one of those mutant couple. I know it. Foster steps towards us. A guard was at your door all night. I replaced him. Were your windows locked? My rage a anew. Yes, I checked them. Perhaps the guard fell asleep. Father rubs his beard. Did you see footprints? Anything out of place? I shake my head. I will have a team come to your room to investigate. The thought of huge guards rifling around my private sanctuary makes my stomach turn. No, I will not have any soldiers stomping through my room. I will figure out what happened to the crystals myself. I dart from my parents' chamber and race through the halls back to my room. Sweat beads on my cold forehead and my breathing becomes jagged. A couple entered my room, flew over my bed while I slept, took three of my crystals, I lower my head to my knees and take in a slow, deep breath. Hermie knows it is juvenile to place such importance on stones, but Rajan and I found my first great cross when I was four. Collecting them with my brothers was what I did. Are you okay? How are you going to find the couple who took your crystals? Buster's voice interrupts my internal struggle. What are you doing in here? Get out! Chasing him into the hall, I slam the doors. I circle my chamber, embarrassed that he witnessed the exchange with mother and father in my fit of anxiety. I continue circling my room, my breath evening out with each pass. After several rounds, my eyes land on my arrows. A plan forms in my mind, and I snatch my quiver and bow. Bolting out the door, I halt in front of Foster. How many arrows can you get? What do you mean? Do you think you can amass hundreds? He shakes his head. All the supplies are allocated to the warriors. The ammunition closets are empty. You'll have to ask father then. I force my wings to beat as fast as they can, propelling me through the corridors to father's chamber. Not finding him there, I speed to the throne room. I need arrows, lots of arrows. What is this? What do you mean? Father glances for me to foster. You say no one has saw a couple, only footprints, that magic may be aiding them, making them invisible. I'm the best archer in the land. I can launch arrows for hours without missing my mark. If I fly arrows across the cave opening, I will eventually hit something, even if it is cloaked. Father stands and paces. His eyes cut around the room to his advisors and back to me. It may work. I will get my warriors on it. I meet his stare. I am your best marksman. No one can beat my range, precision, or stamina. It is the best plan. You know that. Titania, it is a good idea and I commend you. It is dangerous in the wood. You are to stay in the castle. No matter what Alfreda or Foster say, I stew all day. How can Father not let me help? I am more than capable of defending myself. And something, probably a couple, took my crystals. It was enough that they killed my brothers. Now they are stealing my link to them as well. I stare at my ceiling, counting my crystals. Tears roll down my cheeks as my gaze lands on the missing centerpiece of my design. That night, it takes a long time for sleep to come, but well past midnight, it does. In the morning, I note the dim light from the sky and count my crystals again. Making my way to the throne room, I approached Father. Is there news to the warrior find a couple? I'm guessing not. General Kane has not reported in yet, but instructed him to alert me if they found anything. And you position them so their arrows flew across the opening every 10 seconds all night? Well, I'm not sure of the details, but I ordered that they attempt your strategy. A soldier enters and bows, and a hush falls over the room. King Oberon, have your morning update, sir. Just no anchors were stolen from the gym room, and the keeper of the ring reports that three toads stole from the fairy ring withered during the night. And the archers were positioned at the cave as I asked, Father inquires. Yes, they hit nothing. The silence begins to wane as whispers break out between those gathered. Father stands. Double your face at the cave. Sound the alarm if you sense anything strange. Father, I know the wood like the back of my hand. Perhaps there is another. Titania. that is all. Father motions for the soldier to approach. If I could shoot fire from my eyes at Father, I would. Tears pull all my lowered lids. I rush from the room, zipping through the halls to the garden. Foster trails me, keeping his distance as I enter the orchard. With heaving lungs, I descend to the grass. The coolness of the blades calming my mood. In the next breath, new fears erupt. What if the circle dies and we are cut off from upper earth? No sunlight or water? My people will be left eating the creatures of the dirt. I examine the grass under my feet, imagining chewing an earthworm or centipede, and my stomach turns. And who will guard the humans from the creatures of lower earth? Is that not our sole purpose? My chest seizes. Do you really think you can find the couple bring one down foster's voice breaks through my spiral blocking out the image of the looming beast above me i spin to face him you saw the crystals in my room i found every one of them in the eastern woods i know every hollow and thicket plus i do not miss my mark ever no matter how long i shoot for where are you from westshire may i when i hold up my hand foster places his bow and arrow in my palm i shake my head a whole quiver. He relinquishes the bag and I fit on my back. Traipsing into the last row of trees, I point to the entry a hundred feet away. I cock an arrow and launch it, then another and another, until all twelve shafts are away. Foster squints. I motion to the tree and we dart to it. Twelve arrows, each one inch apart, form a line of the tree trunk. How are you so good at this? I know not, I shrug. Skill born of Hours of boredom, I guess. I know of your brothers. I am sorry for your loss. I do not want to feel sad. Do they speak of me? Of my odd habits in washer as well? Or perhaps the guards poke fun at my peculiarities? Foster's eyes widen. No, never. No one should have to endure such loss. I am sorry. I should not berate you. Your sentiment is kind. I am just frustrated. No one will ever take me seriously unless I can prove myself. Holding my gaze for a second. Foster scans the trees. So, what would you do if allowed to aid in the hunt for the couple? Search the wood. Make sure there are no other openings for the couple. Then I will keep shooting arrows across the entrance to their hideout until I hit something. How long can you keep it up? Last time I started. Father made me stop after 13 hours. When was this? last week. face spoil me. I direct my attention to the ground. Sometimes when nothing else calms my nerves, shooting is the only thing that works. The repetitive motion and counting the shots helps ease my tension, frustration over my mother's state, and worry for the future. That is the end to chapter one. I believe that next week I will take to reading chapter two. I hope you enjoyed the first chapter of To Be a Fae Queen. At the end of chapter one, we find Titania struggling to know or find how she can help her father find the couple. Her hardest battles are yet to come. You can find To Be a Fae Queen for 99 cents in ebook format or in paperback format on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. The links on my website are by searching Amazon or Goodreads for To Be a Fake Queen by Tricia Copeland. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm excited to hear what you think about the rest of the story. Until next time, happy reading!